Queen Mode Collective. Welcome to another episode of The Queen's Table. I'm Jax, your host and proud Queen Mode ambassador. Before we begin today's episode, we'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners and elders of the lands from which you are listening to this podcast. In this episode, I meet the amazing Pauline Batista. Pauline is an Afro-Brazilian woman who has been working with community-based filmmaking to bring attention to policymakers for the last 15 years. Pauline is currently a PhD student and she uses film and her research work across Afro-Latina communities as she believes video can be really powerful in supporting communities and voicing their perspectives. This yarn is so inspiring and we are grateful to have her with us. Queen Mode Collective my beautiful sister from across the universe. How are you? I am doing very well, Jax. How are you? I love your voice. I, you know, I think I've told you this before, but I love your voice. It's soothing. It's validating. It's good to be here. I'm well. Oh. <laughs> How are you? Oh, that's so nice. I know. I used to have trouble growing up thinking that I had like a weird voice, but now I'm owning it. So that's what we do, right? Own our voice. Yeah. <laughs> to really you know learn totally. how to own, own and and embrace um differences and i guess that's what that's what makes life more beautiful after all oh absolutely um i wanted to ask you firstly uh for all the queen mode fam out there um if you could tell us a little bit about you and where your family's from of course hi everybody so well obviously i'm pauline <laughs> batista um, I'm from Brazil originally. I was born, well, I was, I come from like, my great grandma was first nation or my, my great grandma was, um, in, indigenous or, or native Brazilian. And then, um, to get very technical with this, <laughs> cause it's a very long story, <laughs> right? We have those, you know, so, stories um, that unite us through colonization and all these processes, so my great grandmother was one of those people who had a parent, you know, who had a mother who was stolen by a white colonizer and then, you know, made her pregnant. And then, you know, the rest was kind of history. Yeah. But um, essentially, I'm, I'm that, right? But I identify as Afro-Brazilian because my, my mother, um, she's phenotypically, you know, black and obviously we're all black. Um, so yeah, I was born in, in Brazil, um, born in a favela or a slum, right. Which is a really complex space. Then I grew up in a traditional community, which helped me to connect with lots of truly amazing people. It's, it's called Parachi. It's like party with an A, Parachi. It means little Parachi. fish. Yeah, there you go. You got it right. And that's where I met, yeah. um, know elena and that's how i got connected to queen mold because i served as a translator um to um her group at the time a million years ago 
And I guess we never really lost touch. And obviously, um, we continue to work separately. And I think that I'm very just, you know, grateful to be here in the space that Queen Mode provides to us. You know, women yes. who have all sectional identities and who do things, you know, to support other women. That's who I am, yes. Pauline Batista. And I live in Whoa. the United States. I've been here forever. <laughs> that was a lengthy uh, uh, introduction. <laughs> well, that's, that's right. You're in, you're currently right now in Connecticut. Am I? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And what is Connecticut like? I mean, you just said you grew up traditional community. Like I can't even imagine the differences, but what, what is Connecticut like? Well, Connecticut is not like Brazil. (laughs) So Connecticut is like, so for example, for example, you know, I had to postpone this a bit because there's a snowstorm coming tomorrow. So every time there's a (gasps) snowstorm morning, yeah, so every time there's a snowstorm warning, there's always like a lot of, um, I would say chaos because the day before everyone is just trying to like mend their calendars. How is it that we can squeeze in, you know, the most amount of things um, out of, um, I don't know, that particular day. So nothing gets, you know, um, so we don't, we, we, I don't know. They just want to clear out their schedules as much as possible. So today was a crazy day. Cause everyone was just trying to do that. Cancel, you know, reschedule. It was crazy. So essentially we get a lot of snow, a lot of snow. Um, and most people here are super white. There are some, there are two cities per se in Connecticut. One is New Haven. The other one is Hartford. I live in Hartford. Um, and obviously with the city, you have, you know, poverty and black folks and urban settings, which is like a phenomenon all over the world. Um, but Connecticut is essentially super white. Um, we border with um, the New York state and really we border with New York City. So we're part of what they call the tri-state area. So Connecticut, New York, and um, New Jersey, right? So we're very close. For example, uh, when I take the train, because I work for the state of Connecticut, I work for the University of Connecticut, I don't even pay to to ride the train. Um, I only pay like a really small fee between the, the border and actually New York, New York City. That's why I'm always in New York City. So that's what Connecticut is like. You know, it's a very white state um and it was a huge 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 transition for me because i feel like um you know i feel like <laughs> when i got here like i was i mean i grew up in you know traditionally black country i grew up you know in, in a traditionally black and brown space which was you know a traditional community and then when I got here, that was not it. Like everything was just so different. People were so cold, but I learned to, I've been fortunate to vet, you know, I was connected to a community of black and brown folks around here. And those are like my best friends and we've been best friends for a really long time. Um, so that's how I have been able to survive, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But yeah. other than that, Connecticut is Connecticut. I love Connecticut. I'm thankful for Connecticut, but. And it's funny because the name Connecticut it comes old, from, right? Yeah. yeah. The name Connecticut comes from like, Quinnacticut, which is an indigenous name. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, like land Who between rivers. Who are the local nations people there? Yeah, land Do between ri- rivers. Yeah. So, wow. and that's how the, the colonizers called it. They couldn't <laughs> pronounce Quinnacticut, right? The, um, 
yeah, so there's a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot of history here. Um, it's, it's, it helps it's us understand why. The, yeah. Yeah. Helps us understand why the United States is the United States in the ways that it is today in the world. <laughs> real. Always the, I'm going to change things cause I'm uncomfortable. Like I'm going to change that because I can't say it. I'm uncomfortable. Ugh. Yeah. yeah so that's dark. amazing. I mean, you're so you, yeah, you said you're at UConn, right? And you're doing a PhD. Oh my God. There's that too. Sometimes I forget. <laughs> I mean, sorry so, to no, remind yeah. you. No, 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 no. It's, it's fine, you know, because I, I'm having a meeting with my um, advisor. I was about to say my supervisor because oh, yeah. my advisor on Monday and we're trying to, I'm trying to finish a PhD. So the discipline that I'm getting the PhD in is education, but I look at educational policy um, and how is it that UNESCO, which is like the culture, the cultural um, branch, I mean, the United Nations has 30 agencies, but the agency that takes care of heritage uh, and, you know, yeah. education and culture is UNESCO, right? So, um, you know, my dissertation is going to be on how um, countries understand UNESCO conventions and apply them through schooling when it comes to heritage studies. So, for example, who decides what is worth to preserve based on UNESCO, based on different countries' understandings of um, UNESCO yeah. standards of preservation and heritage studies, which often is very different from what grassroots communities, how, how they approach heritage studies and, you know, that kind of stuff. Oh, my Sometimes. gosh. So when, like, when is your, like, when will it be over? When will you your PhD, when will that be completed in your hopes? What are you hoping for so, to get it completed to, soon? Yeah, no, soon. I want to, well, the idea is to graduate in 2023. Um, yes. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Uh, <laughs> it's one of oh, those yeah. things, you know. Yeah, I just, I just want to finish at this point, you know, I'm very grateful, um, but I'm very ready to be done, honestly. Oh, uh, I mean, hats off to you for even a attempting. Yeah. I mean, I am obviously we don't ha have our success aligned with Western society. We know what success is in our communities, but to go through that, I know as another uh, black woman is kind of, it's an achievement. It is an achievement. So, that yeah. is so good. So amazing. It's not easy. You know, I feel like... Thank you. It's not easy. I feel like people don't have these conversations enough. And um, yeah. I feel like it's really not easy. It's super hard when you look to the left. Lots of people went to Hartford. You know, look to the right. Lots of people went to Yale, all Ivy League schools that are perceived like the best yeah. schools in the United States. So it's like, it's very challenging, right? When people are really testing you against those super white supremacist standards. It's just like, it's bullshit though. But at the same time, it's like, once you overcome it, you're like popping. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you're <laughs> popping. You're popping. Yeah, you are. 
But like you, like, yeah, academia, whatever that means, gosh, let's unpack that word for five minutes. But you are also extremely creative, like extremely creative. Where did that come from? Like where, where did the love for the arts, telling story, when you tell stories through film, um, where did that come from? Okay, so it's um, a long time ago when I was still... I grew up, here's the thing, you know, what really informed my research was the fact that I grew up at a UNESCO heritage site, right? Um, So it's a traditional community that UNESCO said, okay, you get us, you know, you get a seal. We see that you're really trying to preserve your heritage. So with that, (coughs) sorry, there's a lot of visibility, a lot of money that goes into, um, I guess educating people because according to UNESCO, um, schools should really teach kids, you know, how to preserve their heritage. That's a thing. And then because of that, where I grew up, there were a lot of, we were, yeah, we were very poor, but we were offered and like an abundance of like courses and different activities and like different things to do. One of them yeah. was um, this thing called um, filmmaking. <laughs> you know, so I started. I was. I started. I, so the first, you know, I so I, well, I was like, I was, I, you know, I was very curious about filmmaking and storytelling. So we had um, all those like workshops that you would attend as a teenager. Um, and that was in connection with this really large literature festival that happens in Brazil. It's run by Brazilian people, but like really in connection with the British Council and other like yeah. you know, European organizations. That's a really huge literature festival. I mean, Tani Morris and Jampala here, they all went to that festival. And mind you, wow. she's a really small town. So we would, you know, we grew up surrounded by that, right? So it was only natural that we would want to tell stories because we yeah. were the people who were making it and were successful were storytellers, were writers, artists, like telling stories through different mediums. In my case, I found myself, um, you know, a storyteller through um, filmmaking, right? Through video. And that was my medium. I would love to, because I always love talking to old people. <laughs> yes, me too. You know, I love talking to old people, but when you are in a traditional community, you're not just talking to an old person. You're usually talking to someone, people who are like, who know, who will give you like details about history that you will not read in school. So it's fascinating, yeah. right? Because they have this, it's, it's, it's a whole different ball game. Um, and then, you know, I would always sit with them and then I started making short films of those people. Yeah. And then what happened was, you know, because of the literature festival, whatever I was doing gained visibility to the point that by the time I was like an adult and I was, you know, because the, 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 the literature festival is a summer thing. I mean, Yeah. Um, southern hemisphere no wait northern hemisphere northern northern hemisphere summer day so during the festival you know i would go and i um 
I would do those interviews and make the short films and they caught the attention of like the national television and they in Brazil, Global TV, and they started inviting me to do projects with them. Up and, and then I had to come to the US to um, start the PhD. So I was like, oh my God, I know how to make films, but I don't quite know um, how is it that filmmaking could be research? So right. what happened was so what happened was um, I met this really amazing um, Latina. Her name is Erika Fernandez, and she's a professor, no longer a professor at my university, but she she's like, you know what? Let me teach you everything I know. Um, she was an amazing mentor. She was my first advisor. Uh, and then she she's like, there's a plethora of things that we could do when it comes to research. And one of them is called participatory video. Which is a really yes. new framework, right? It's a really new way of yeah. thinking research. So essentially, I make short films with youth, black and brown youth, in traditional communities. Yeah. Oftentimes, oh. when you're talking about traditional communities, it's like, it's one of those things in which, oh, you know, you have this particular clear version folklore, like folklore-like version and vision of what traditional you know, daily life is like, but then nobody's really listening to youth and what is it that they really want to learn. So I go yeah. in, I talk to youth, you know, we, we, we chat and we make short films and we usually send those to um, local film festivals. And the gag is that the, the original idea was to get the attention of policymakers. So they would listen yes. to youth and work with youth, right? But in my case, what ended yes. up happening was policymakers called me and they're like, we were wondering if you could make those short films. We'd we want to commission. We want to commission you to do those short films. So it's like, are you really commissioning me to have, you know, to kind of like see how is it that you can, you know, have the kids say whatever it is that you want them to say. You know, yes. you know how things try to change. Yeah, yeah. total agenda. Yeah, messy, messy, messy. So that's what I do, I guess, in a nutshell. And you know, and you know, I got you know, we publish papers together. We share all the findings with youth. You know, the findings are not mine. I'm like really just a facilitator of the process. Youth really has a lot to say, and they know exactly, exactly how to say it. It's just that we often don't give um, them um, a chance to talk. Absolutely. And I think the medium of film is so real, like without being there, it's just got this unique way of capturing uh, voice and image and, and their faces because their story is in their body and their face, right? Like everything that they articulate and then, you know, even that, you know, the sounds that they make are just pure they're pure and and they have, you know, the authority to tell their own story, which is what especially universities and, and policymakers have have not had enough of that lived experience in their thing, right? Yep. It's like it's one of those things that is like so connected to you, Jax. That yeah. oftentimes you really feel like if I don't do this right, I'm not only going to disappoint them, but I'm going to disappoint myself as well. 
So it's like, it's super tricky where it's very great and inspirational and blah, 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 blah. However, it's like, it's a huge responsibility, you know? And it's exhaustive. Yeah. And I feel like black and brown women, we experience exhaustion because we're trying to do the absolute most at all times. <laughs> yeah. You know? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So... So when you talk about black and brown women and, you know, just that need to cater to others and be there for others, like what, have you put in place anything recently for you? Like what advice have you been given or that you kind of try and stick to? I mean, I'm going to say try because I try, man. I try this self-care stuff, but again, always lasts. Huh. Yeah. Self-care. Oh my God. <laughs> so it's complex because in the United States, I feel like, um, <laughs> so in the United States, there's the industry of self-care, which is something that I take a huge, take huge issue with. Right. I feel like they're trying to yeah. be forceful. Um, because yeah. there's, there's just limitations. I mean, come on now. This is, this is the United States. Right. But I feel like our yeah. communities our communities we have sort of been forced into like the margins of self-care right it's kind of like you have to figure it out yourself we won't make this a systemic community you know so like in my case what i do is you know i do it brings me joy you know i i there's this group of students that i work with and they're like there's two versions of yourself the diplomat version, the young diplomat version, and the the wild version. <laughs> oh, wow. I go, I, you know, I, I go out um, dancing. Um, you know, I do a lot yes. of work with social media. My, my social media persona is something that brings me a lot of joy. You know, Pauline from Brazil. And I love playing with that. I love dressing up. I love, I love doing the absolute most. It's like my drag version of myself, you know. Um, I also it really enjoy. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I also like try to, you know, for example, any chance I get, I fly to Miami. Oh, how privileged! Mm-hmm. You, you just have, yeah, you just have to have um, the right people. You just have to know the right people. And there's times if you like, if you're smart about it, that flights to Miami are forty dollars round trip from where what? I live. Yeah, so I just Here's fly to Miami. I've, I've been there. What? Get out. South Beach? Yeah, I was there Wait, for work. You, um, you have to tell me that story. Like, how did that happen? That's amazing. So I went, I went because of the, um, there's a big, like, uh, swimwear. Uh, gosh, I can't believe I don't know. the Like a swimwear festival or like oh god there's a festival there that and I was helping my cousin and his wife and um I was and they invited me to go and so I went and it was unbelievable but it was it made me want to go back right I have to go back and you can't go there for work (laughs) no no you can't it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things that 
no, it's it's a day, it's a day, Jax. I'm gonna I'm gonna take you around. I I know my I know my way around Miami right now. You know, um, that place oh is it's, it's, it's called the Magic City for a reason. You know, the vibe the is, yeah. It's like just like the people. Yeah, it, it, I don't know. It's just like. Oh, I think you're talking. Are you talking about the Art Basel Festival? No, no. Really I'll, big I'll, it'll Basel. come to me. Yeah. Anyway, so back here, I feel like, um, yeah, it's one of those places. It's it's like laid back, but at the same time, like super. It's like L.A. plus Rio. L.A. meets Rio wow. Janeiro. You also have to visit in Brazil. Like I feel like, um, you know, Miami. <gasps> trip and the beach is so beautiful you know it's it's but brazil yeah i would die like Like, that is on the list a hundred percent hopefully you don't die (laughs) hopefully you don't die yeah Yeah, and you know and you get to go because brazil is like brazil is massive like there's so much there's just so much, you know, I feel like, um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel like you, you're going to love Brazil. It's, you know, the vibes and the communities and the people and, yeah. and, you know, oh gosh, the culture, you're literally going to go crazy. You're going to go crazy. Yeah. I, I, love my- I don't know what That's it is. It. Yeah. I don't know what it is about the music and the, the expression art form, like dancing for me is just, it makes me, I don't know, I don't know, it just, it reminds me of, you know, my people, but it, it also just gives me this sense of, like, joy and, and but the, okay, one thing, let's talk about this for a couple of minutes, the food, yeah. tell me about the food there because we probably have a really colonised version of Brazilian food here, but I'm sure. Wait, what you, I'm curious, I'm, is it just right? beans and the protein what do you have what do you have barbecue so what's yeah. your definition of Brazilian barbecue and i'll come out I'll, I'll join with my definition it's, well that's the thing i don't i don't i know it's not authentic i definitely know that i don't i've never been to a proper like out because i'm always like where is your who is the nana in the back cooking because if they, i don't see one then it's not for real like you know who is who is the who is the auntie you got this recipe from? So over here, like in Australia, it's like, yeah, it's definitely just, I swear they just put the name on, right? Yeah, no, but, you're so right. You're so right there. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, I feel like my first memory of having like the best possible barbecue in my life is connected to a favela slum, right? I feel like my aunt... She makes those beans that are like crazy. It's like bean, black beans and cilantro. And my aunt, she has this really small pot. And it can literally invite 20 people to her house. She always has enough for everybody. (laughs) I'm like, how, you know, how those like black and brown, you know, aunties know how to multiply shit like that, right? Like that, that gift. Yeah, and it's it's just so wonderful. Like the smell of it is wonderful. Um, that was like my childhood, and then my stepfather is a chef. He's Italian Brazilian, and then I grew up in that household with 
Italian Brazilian food. My mom doesn't know how to cook. Italian Brazil. Okay, that's like, yeah, I can't no. with that. That's oh man. It was so. It was. It's just no. I I had a really happy experience growing up in Brazil when it comes to food, but typically like. Even in the U.S., what you find is you find rice, you find beans, you find yeah, um, churrasco, which is like barbecue. Yeah, and then you find you know um, like this pico de gallo like sauce, which we call vinagrette. Um, vinagrette. Yeah, vinagrette. It's like vinaigrette, but we vinaigrette. pronounce vinaigrette. Yeah. And then we also uh, have yeah, this thing, alfalfa, which I have it here. I'll show it to you. Hold on. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Oh, yeah, my gosh. It. <laughs> it's really I mean, it's it's nighttime there for you and it's like breakfast time here, but I'm thinking I'm just going to go and yeah. whip up this stuff for breakfast. Yeah, there you go. So this is farofa, and I order it online. So farofa is like this. So this is what it looks like. So farofa is like this. Yeah, right. um, powder that's made with um like maniac flour you know um toasted okay. maniac flour um it's it's oh gosh it's and that's exactly what it looks like so it's farofa here the vinaigrette sauce and then the barbecue it's divine we also have feijoada feijoada is like this really feijoada. yeah the most famous dish so feijoada has an amazing history behind it because it was literally food made by enslaved folk. Wow. So what, what happened was back in the day, when my ancestors were enslaved, my black ancestors, you know, we all have ancestors from like multiple. Yeah. There's a lot of people behind us, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I feel like, um, so they were in those spaces called senzalas because in Brazil we had the, mas the master house and the senzala. The senzala used to be like a smaller, almost room, not a house, where all the enslaved folks would be kept, right? Yeah. So they went, obviously they needed to be fed. Mm -hmm. They were treated as, you know, products and, and goods instead of people. And, you know, their whole experience with hell was dehumanizing. But they needed to be fed. And they were fed the leftovers of everything. So... In, you know, sugarcane plantations and, and all those farms, they would be fed, um, you know, whatever was left over. So, for example, pig, right? So, whatever yeah. is left from pig. So, usually the, the, the master house, they would eat, like, the good parts of the pig, right? So, for example, like, you know, belly and, yeah. and other things. And, of course, you know, the nose, the ears, the tail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that thrown out not thrown out but you know given to inflate folks and that's how you know they would be fed so essentially what would happen was you know so they would get all those leftovers put beans in them and cook and make this sort of like you know beans slash pork stew which is like oh. so rich like not and you know it had to be rich because you know they worked hella hours a day 100 percent they were enslaved. So it's like, and then over the years, of course, you know, white folk appropriated it and they, they made a thing, yeah. but it's a, it's black people food. And typically you eat feijoada with, you know, I mean the, 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 the bean stew, yeah. the rice, a slice of orange, farofa here. Yeah. <laughs> we put that in everything and kale. 
Not wow. not kale. Collard, collard greens. Collard greens. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very flavorful. Oh my and of gosh. course, now there's vegetarian versions of this. There's vegan versions of this. It's like, like I said, when white folk really appropriated that. So there's that, and there's also those little, yeah, the three biggest Brazilian things, I guess. They're plenty. So the yes. three biggest ones that you can act, easily access outside of Brazil is, you know, the churrasco or the barbecue, the feijoada, and also the coxinhas or the the, the chicken balls. Those are it's like deep fried. Oh. It's like deep fried breaded chicken balls. It's wonderful. But the way it started, it also has a really great history. It's funny. So. So Brazil happens to be the only country in the world that had, I mean, not the world, but like the only country in the Americas that has this weird, like really weird history in which the king of its colonizing country, like for example, the, the king of Portugal, yeah, he was, he fled to Brazil to escape Napoleon. Yeah, because he was a good ball. He wasn't. He wasn't like really a man of war. Brazil doesn't really have a history of war to this day because of you know how Portugal Portugal operated back in the day. So during the 19th century, the king of Portugal, who was perceived as a good ball, Don John VI, fled to Brazil with his family, and he literally got to Rio, Brazil as a colony. He brought with him 15,000 people from Portugal, and he displaced other people who were living there. What? And he made it nice. Oh, if you give, so for example, if someone, you know, your colonizer comes to your door and goes like, "Hey, Jax, give us your house. You're out now." So that that literally happened in Rio. That's why people from Rio we have a different accent. We sound more like the Portuguese because of that. Because it was literally we had a, an invasion of like fifteen thousand members of the Portuguese court to invade uh, to invade you know Rio. So he was a goofball and he was always eating and putting food in his pockets. So then slave women were like, okay, what do we do to like mitigate, you know, mitigate this? Because, you know, his pockets are always nasty. Uh. So he would literally, you know, he would literally grab those um, chicken thighs or, you know, yeah. chicken pieces and he would put that in his pocket. The enslaved women, they were like, how if we breaded it? So they breaded it and it's a little, you know, it's a little more dry. It's not as nasty anymore. So that's how, that's how Koshinya was born. And oh. nowadays, yeah, and nowadays it's, it's, it's very easy to find it. I mean, no, some places in Rio, you can still find the old school Koshinya with the bone sticking out of it. So it's like a bone with like a, a deep fried thing. on. The, oh yeah. You know. But mostly people make it with like, you know, just small chicken pieces and it's just like ugh. very caloric but worth every bite I am like firstly thankful for sharing that knowledge and I'm just like super hungry now but forever I mean this will make you laugh forever I wanted to do like my own like <laughs> travel show where I go and just eat food from like traditional communities and like talk through because it's starting to get better. I mean, with like Netflix and all the things, but you do wonder about how they were, how they're treated and the the stories and, and if they have it, their like intellectual property intact and all those things. So, you know, 
even if I don't film it, I just want to experience it. There's something about food for me and I, I feel like it's a common feeling for any black, brown, First Nations people is like we just connect our cultures through food, through story, through song, dance, language, like, but food for me is, you want to go back to that self-care thing? That's what it is. It's like mm-hmm. cooking the recipes that I've been taught, right? Mm-hmm. And um, when yeah. we meet up next, we're going to cook and I'm going to share recipes and you're going to, we're just going to cook for like weeks. Oh my gosh. Let's do that. Let's do it. Let's do it. So Queen Mode, we're now pitching a transnational cooking show. <laughs> you know, we oh can make gosh. it happen. It's so exciting. I mean, so I mean, you know your way around the camera. I do not, but I can cook. So let's do that. You're lying. I mean, you, you talk- do know your way around the camera very well. I got asked to do be a photographer the other day on uh, at a, at an event. They looked at me like, "Yeah, you could take the photos." I was like, "Yeah, of course. Never, ever. Don't own a camera." <laughs> wow. So funny. I mean, you can do it. Um, you can do it. You, yeah. you have the you have the right voice. You have the right voice for for, for the media for the media. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're making our way. But you talked about your your Instagram. And are you on TikTok? I'm not on not TikTok. Yet. I wouldn't know the first thing. Okay. Okay. You're not on TikTok. I was, yeah. I, I was told to go on TikTok because that's the future, apparently. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm yeah. so tired. <laughs> you know, just, you know, having another, having another thing. It's like, maybe, I don't know, maybe doing a TikTok, you know, on recipes and, you know, anything that has to do with traditional yeah. communities be like something that we would do and that would be stimulating for me yeah I know. That- <laughs> how about you what are, what are your thoughts on tiktok oh i just don't know enough i'm uneducated i can clearly say that i i struggle with the changes on the in on the instagram <laughs> Instagram, uh, Not the Instagram, on the, the Instagram, on the line, on the Instagram, on the gram. Oh mm-hmm. God. I'm going to edit this bit out. No, just kidding. But what I, what I did want your advice for like queen mm-hmm. mode, especially the younger queens in our lives. Like if you have any advice about those platforms, because they're so obviously great to express yourself and feel something but that we all know there's negative side to this so your advice about those platforms you know i think that being authentic because marketing people and i've learned through a lot of marketing people um you need to okay so social media was a space created for people hence brands playing struggling to like sound like people on social media. That's why they have to partner with influencers and other people because social media is a space for people. So what yeah. do, like, what do people like, you know, there are certain reasons why people seek, you know, social media so much, right? First is a structure. Like, you know, you're scrolling through your brain, this program to finish tasks. Yeah. So, you have a timeline that never ends. So you try to finish that and you can't. 
So, you know, neurologically speaking, you're really trying. It's not happening. So that's why you keep scrolling. That's one. The other thing is really authenticity and certain color palettes that are used for certain purposes. Mm. So, for example, I use a lot of red because red engages people. I love red. And also I love red. You know, you can see my, my nails. You can't see my nails, but. Yeah, yeah. I'm about to go and change into red. <laughs> Yeah, I'll look at you. So, you know, there, there's so many, like, um, there's just so much, right? There's just so, so, so yes. much. Um, but I feel like most importantly, like authenticity, like if you can give what people are looking for through authenticity, a lot of people, are, a lot of people are going to gravitate towards you, you know? So 100%. find your niche, whatever, you know, so whether that's, you know, and me, I'm, I'm working like on migrating from Instagram to TikTok slowly because I want to, I don't know how I feel about that, but let's see what happens. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like, um, be authentic and strategic. Use your authenticity to create something that only you can offer. And yes. that's how deep an audience that's my final thoughts for the young people who are interested in social media that is amazing advice you are all those things you're authentic you're strategic but you're just a boss like in the in the very safe way a beautiful woman is like we that's who we are right and i'm I can't, I'm so grateful that we've crossed paths. Like I'm super, I feel like I've known you forever. Isn't that weird? I don't know if you feel the same and it's okay if you don't, but I'm, I feel like I've known you forever. I know. Weird, I appreciate right? Yeah. Very weird. No, I really, yeah. No, you're all good. I'm going to do the quick fire questions. So we're going to, I'm going to spit some real quick no raps because I can't do that either, and that's not my lane. <laughs> stay in your lane. Stay in your lane, people. Stay in your lane. Talk um, about advice. <laughs> right? Um, okay, quick fire questions, and you just first thing comes to your head, all right? Are you ready? Are you ready? So okay, ready. here we go. Ready. Pet peeve in the filmmaking industry. It's very annoying, man, who tell you what to do all the time. Who want to tell you what to do all the time. I hate that. Facts. Facts. We can do a whole podcast on that for sure. It's um, so annoying. Best film or documentary you've ever seen? Oh, my God. Veneno. So, Veneno, like, okay. hands down. So, Veneno is a... As a, as a is a it's an eight episode series made by these um filmmakers from spain about cristina veneno um she was a trans woman um spanish yes. trans woman who rocked you know television in the 90s um just 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 it's amazing like each episode you know i mean they, they are very careful with how they were telling her story and you fall in love with her it's it's amazing definitely veneno Yes. Okay. Um, favorite place for you? Oh my gosh. Home. 
home. My parents, like my, my, my bed, my bed at my parents' house. Oh, oh, it's just, I know, right? You know, anywhere, just shit there, yeah. You feel taken care of, you know. I feel like nothing's gonna happen to you. It's a blessing. A hundred percent safety, safety, yeah. um, so, and yeah. your goals and hopes for the future. You know, I just want to be happy. I just want to stay oh. happy and, um, I guess have more realistic, I don't be happy and, you know, really develop healthier professional boundaries. That's, those are my goals for the future right now. And I'm very grateful. Oh my gosh. All the things that I'm also achieving but this is the thing about queen mode right like we know the work we do we know who we are in the communities that we represent and it's about that balance and i'm grateful to have spoken with you today and i am like can't wait to connect keep connecting um yeah i'm just super grateful sis and i would just want to say take care and I hope that snowstorm just goes because that sounds not good. Trust me, it's really not. Thankfully, I live in a brick building, um, so it's really nice. But like most homes in the U.S. are not made of brick, so it's it's really scary once you're out there. And obviously, um, we pray that everyone's going to be okay. But I appreciate you. Thank you. Absolutely. No worries. All right, we'll talk soon. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and would love to hear more inspirational stories, consider joining QM Sanctum. This is our virtual home, membership space, and community filled with passionate people, also dedicated to the personal development of First Nations women. We'd love to connect with you on there. Also remember to subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's been a pleasure as always, and we'll catch you on the next one. Queen Mode Collective.